series, actually this is week number two in a series that's entitled, This is What I Do. This is what I do. And it's from the scripture in Philippians, the third chapter, the verse 13 and verse 14, if you have your Bible there. This is, I'm reading out of God's Word translation. You can read it out of whatever version you have with you there. But it says in the God's Word translation, Brothers and sisters, I can't consider myself a winner yet, but this is what I do. I don't look back. I lengthen my stride, and I run straight toward the goal to win the prize that God's heavenly call offers in Christ Jesus. This is what I do. This is what I do. Now, of everything, I love Apostle Paul because he was, he was such a, a straightforward kind of guy. But, you know, all the things that he could have been doing, of all the things that he was doing. I mean, he was, he was on missionary trips and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But in his own words, he said of all the things that he could do, all the things that he should do, this is what he was going to do. But this is what he was going to do with all of his might. He was going to try to do this. And, and last week we looked at the fact that with, with everything we are doing, maybe even with the fact that some of us have bucket lists or I wish lists or, or, or you know, it would be nice if lists, of everything that we could do or should do or, or whatever, we ought to be just the same as Apostle Paul. And this is what we should do. This is what I do. This should be our goal in life. We need to lengthen our stride. We need to run straight toward the goal. Stop looking back over our shoulder at all of the woulda, coulda, shouldas of our life. How many of you have a few woulda, coulda, shouldas? If you could go back and change some things, come on, everybody in the house ought to be lifting their hands up and saying, I, I would change some things. Listen, you know, and I realize, you know, I was, I was teasing around with my father-in-law. We had a, we had a great meal with them this week, and um, they, they, we, we went into the restaurant, and they chased us out after they were closing. Um, I don't know, we were there for three or four hours just talking, and we were, we were teasing, and I, you were teasing about the fact that uh, I think they asked my wife, said, who is your favorite minister? And she started to name off all these different ones. And, you know, well, I like this one, I like this one, I like this one, I like this one. And then she said, oh, and, and I, like, I like him, too. <clears throat> you know? And I said, well, yeah, because she's heard all my stories. You know, we've been, we're coming up this next month on 37 years. You know, so um, we've been married longer together than we were single apart. So we, we kind of know it. She kind of knows my stories. She kind of knows my stuff, right? Anybody in the house that know, you know, you got a mate that knows your stuff, and, and they kind of know your, you know. Uh, how many of you know you can you can always check them out and they can know the the wife's fake laugh, like when she's going, oh, yeah, whatever, shut up. Come on, and girls, don't act like you don't have a fake laugh. Some of you went. <laughs> Inside you're going, you're so stupid. <laughs> and some of you don't want to admit it right now because, you know, that handsome hunk is right there beside you. But, listen, what, what I understand is that we all have some woulda, coulda, shouldas. Amen? We've got some days in the past that we would, we would do a lot if we could go back and change some things. But this was Apostle Paul. He said, listen... I don't look back over my shoulder at everything I should have done. Because to look back all the time... In fact, I've said this in counseling several times. Pardon me for that. I just clapped in the mic. Um, 
There. Uh, of all the things I've said in counseling, one of the, I think one of the greatest things I've ever told people is there's a reason why the front windshield is much bigger than the rearview mirror. Some of you will get that in a minute. It just went right over your head, didn't it? Let me try it again. There is a reason that the front windshield of a car is bigger than the rearview mirror. Why is that, Pastor? Because the view ought to be so much greater of where you're going than where you've been. Continually looking over your shoulder at the woulda, coulda, shouldas of life is going to get you in trouble sooner or later. And so Paul said, listen, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to li- this is what I do. I'm going to lengthen my stride. I'm going to press on. I'm going to go for the prize that God has set for me in Christ Jesus. I'm going after the thing that God has set for me. To- and listen, that is what we should have as a this is what I do goal in life. Now last week we started this and we started talking about the fact that One of the things that we ought to have as a goal in our life, this is what I do in life, number one, was I do life. I do life. Well, that sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? I mean, you know, if you're you're breathing, you're doing life. No, not actually. Because there's a whole lot of people that are just surviving, they're not thriving. How many of you realize that the Christian life doesn't have to just be endured, it can be enjoyed? There's one. All right. Well, that, that sermon didn't go very far, apparently. Uh, some of you need to go back to the podcast. But listen, you can actually have fun and still be a Christian. Look at somebody and tell them, say, you know what? You don't have to be a sad person all the rest of your life. You can have joy. You can, you can smile. Even in the house of God. Turn to somebody and just show them a smile. I mean, maybe what the dentist has done or what you're hoping they'll get someday. Come on. The Christian life can be enjoyed. It doesn't have to just be endured. But we talked about that last week, and I don't have time to go back on that. Because I want to get into the second one. This is what I do. Number two, number one was I do life. But let me show you number two of what I do. This is what I do. I, number two, do real. In fact, I want you to say that with me. Say, I do real. In fact, look at somebody and kind of just get a smile in your voice and say, I do real. <laughs> we, we talk about it. Some of you did a whole lot better on the snarl than you did on the smile. So I'm going to back up a little bit and just try to be careful here. But listen, we talk a lot about being real. Right? We talk a lot about that because and what that really means is we're human. Everybody say, I am human. Say, I have failures. I have frailties. I even have issues. Now turn to somebody and say, mine aren't as bad as yours, but I have some. Listen, how many of you know that that's the the whole thing about being real, is the fact that we are going to admit we are human. We have not been yet translated into glory. We still have issues. We still have problems. We still have things that we wish we could have different. How many of you are still working on a body image that you, you wish you could change? How many of you are still working on something else that you wish you didn't have this, but you wish you had that? I wish I had a better car, but I can't. I wish I had a better house. I mean, you're all, oh, Lord, I, there's so many wish lists. Lists. <laughs> I wish I could talk. (laughs) Being human 
means that we have not yet arrived. Look at the person next to you and say, I have not yet arrived. Turn back and say, I know I'm ahead of you, but I haven't got there yet. Listen, that's what being real means. It means that we're accepting the fact that we have a humanity, we have flesh we have to deal with. I have aches and pains. I have irritations. I know some of you don't have that. I have people that rub me the wrong way. I can go to a certain store and it just irritates me sometimes. I can get in the presence of some individuals and all of a sudden it's just like the hair on the back of my head starts saying, I'm going, and I'm going, what is wrong with you? They didn't even say anything yet. I can get my phone. I've got caller ID and see it and go, oh. I know none of you are that way. Pray for your pastor, please. I need help. That's because I'm real. I am human. I have, I have fail, failures. I have frailties. I have issues. I have those things. But what I hope you understand when we talk about being real is that doesn't mean that we're giving ourselves a license to stay messed up or stay in a life of sin. Oh, no, 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 no. If you think it's okay to live a life of sin or to run around being nasty and ugly to people because you're just keeping it real, you are missing the point. We're going to admit we are human, but that doesn't mean we're giving ourselves a license to stay in a mess. How many of you ever had a child that got into a mud pit? Maybe a mud puddle. But with that, they got dirty. And, and, and you know, you still love the child, and you still, you know, you brought him this, oh, <laughs> We've got grandkids, and, 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 and we have, you know, on our property, we have this, this little creek that runs down through it. It's actually like a drainage ditch. During the, you know, but it, it's got water in it, and children, our grandchildren are automatically drawn to that creek. Now, there's bugs, there's snakes in it. There's little dee whoppers and all kinds of stuff. You know, there's all kinds of stuff in it, but the main thing that's in it is mud. <laughs> they have an affection for mud. I mean, and they come in sometimes and they will have sat in the mud. Everybody say mud. I mean, it, you know, and they will have it caked. Where they have been sitting and their shoes are filled with mud and their socks have mud and their pants have mud and their underwear. (gasps) They just, what do we do? Well, throw them little vomits away. No, we love them and Gigi has to undress them. We take it outside, we, we hose off the child, I mean the clothes, <laughs> wring it out, throw it in the washer, and get... Listen, we don't throw the child away because it's muddy, we, we understand it's a child, but on the other side, we also instruct them, go down there and Poppy's got a belt that he's going to wear your hind end off with if you do that again. And that used to last at least for the rest of the day. 
or until the next opportunity they get to go out to the mud. Listen, being real means we admit that we have frailties. But being real does not mean that we're okay with being stuck in the mud. See, being real, let me show it to you this way. Being real is understanding that as Christians, it is grace that has freed us. And grace has given us an opportunity to affect real, positive, spiritual, and natural change in our lives. We can say it this way. Let's just, let's just make this real quick statement so you can understand this. Grace is the freedom from sin and the freedom to be real. It's not the freedom to sin. Are you getting this? Grace is the freedom from sin. It's not the freedom to sin. It's the freedom to be real and to be without sin. But it's not a freedom to go around and get back into sin. See, in the past, let me just... Let me, not to divert, but let me, let me show you this just real quick. In the past, we didn't believe that we could be real or human and be holy at the same time. Because we all know First Peter and over in the Old Testament says, be holy. In First Peter, he said, be ye holy even as I am holy. So that we would understand that God wants us to be holy. That word holy then means without sin. Woo! Come on! All of you that are holy, lift your hands up and give him shout! Oops. Listen, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be disparaging to anyone. What I'm trying to say is the mentality that we've had in the past was that we could not be real and holy at the same time because real meant that we had human issues. And holy meant that we didn't have any issues. Are you in house? See, holy means that we don't have a problem. Holy means that we're godly. Holy means that... So if we're real, we can't be holy. Oh, see, you're not, you're not with me no more. What we are trying to understand is that because of grace, we have the ability to be real and to be holy because it is not our holiness that we're walking in. It is the holiness of Jesus Christ. See, one of the places we missed it. Let me, let me show you why we missed this. At least for the church that I, I grew up in, we judged holiness or righteousness. And we, we used that term. In, in, in the church that I grew up in, we judged holiness and righteousness as an action or an act. Are you listening? Are you listening? Because I, I want to help somebody right here. If you listen to me, I think I can help you. You, you, but you're going to have to listen. Well, I wish you'd spit fire. Well, I don't need to spit fire. I wish you'd preach. Well, I'm trying to help you. See, if I can help you, then I might be, God might release me so I can preach. Listen, what I'm trying to say is that we judged our holiness, our standing with God, we judged holiness as a action. We did not judge it as a state of being. We thought that if we could regulate or legislate our actions, that we would become holy, right? So ladies, we need you all to start wearing your hair up. We need you to wear longer dresses. You need to get holy. You need to take all the, 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 the makeup off and all of the, the jewelry. You need to get holy. We need you to start, you know, we need you to be holy. Men, uh, just do what you're doing. You know, but, uh, you know ladies, you need to get holy. Because you women are the problem of unholiness. 
Listen to some of you men out there. You all have just dogged me out and left me. You just ran down. you on your own, big boy. She's sitting by me. I ain't saying amen. Listen, but what we did was we thought if we could start legislating our actions... I mean, I grew up in a, in, in a church, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be disparaging about my upgrowth or, or my heritage, but we did not have uh, any, any opportunity. We weren't supposed to go to skating, to skating rinks, because skating rinks, you were moving, and there was mu- music, so there was a whole lot like dancing, and we didn't believe in dancing, so therefore you couldn't go skating because there was a whole lot. It's kind of like I had salad for lunch. Well, actually, I had a big crouton with a lot of cheese. and Actually, it was a whole lot of tomato sauce and cheese on, on a pie. Actually, I had pizza for lunch. <laughs> we, made that, we made this huge jump that if you were moving and there was music, well, you're dancing, and dancing's uh, ungodly. Therefore, so we didn't go to movies because who knew what went on when the lights went out? I've been there a few times. I remember the first movie I ever went to, and I remember sitting there and going, Jesus, oh God, he's going to come and I'm going to be stuck because he won't be able to see me in the dark. You're just stuck. No, I'm just telling you. Uh, now watch. What we were trying to do is we were trying to legislate our actions so we would become... Listen, can I, can I just help somebody right here? It doesn't matter... How good your actions can become. Your actions are never going to make you holy. That was the problem under the law. Are you in house? That was the problem in the Old Testament. That's why we couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. We just had ten of them. (laughs) We couldn't do it. We failed. It was only ten. Ten. And we couldn't do it. We couldn't legislate our actions or regulate our actions enough to, just with those ten, to be holy. That's because your actions can never make you holy. But that's what God's amazing grace has done for us. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Romans, the fifth chapter, the eighth verse, says this. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, or we were unholy, Christ died for us. Everybody say, for us. Come on, say it again. For us. In fact, I want you to change it and personalize it. Say, for me. Christ died for me. Listen, we could not hit the mark. We couldn't do it. You say, Pastor, I know all of this. Well, I'm trying to help somebody. We couldn't hit the mark of real and holy at the same time. But Jesus could. And so God sends Jesus to help us to become real and holy at the same time. That's what it's saying in Ephesians, the second chapter, the fifth verse. It says, by grace. Everybody say grace. Say, by grace. Are you saved? This is what's redeemed us. This is what's restored us. This is what's made us holy, made us right, and made us free. Now, listen. Now we can be real or human and holy, godly at the same time. Are you in this house? So, I know some of you have said, well, bless God, are you saying that our actions are not important? 
Well, yes, of course our actions are important because they're giving evidence to whether we're yielding ourselves to an old nature or to grace that's redeemed us. If you're out living in sin, you are giving vent and rise and leading or the yielding yourself, as Paul said, you're yielding your members back over to unrighteous things. See, this is how we get real, folk. This is how we get real with God and we get real with ourselves. We accept that grace is the only way to become holy and to produce good fruit and good actions. It's by grace. By grace. Everybody say grace. In fact, why don't you say thank God for grace. Look at somebody and say, without it, you wouldn't be there. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. You would have already messed it up too much. Come on, say thank God for grace. Now watch this. And I know some of you know all of this, and, and, and you, could, you could preach this just as well or better than I can. But listen, I'm trying to go someplace with this. I'm trying to set, up, uh, set, the, set the groundwork up. If we can understand this grace, then what happens is we become ready for a real relationship with Jesus. Now, when we say a real relationship, here's where we're going. Ready? When we say a real relationship, we're talking about doing a life of real love. We're talking about a life of, oh, yes, we're going there, no hypocrisy. We're talking about letting go of the double standards that the church has held on to for so many years. We're talking about letting go of the duplicity and the pretense of being holy when we're not holy. Trying to look holy, but inwardly, as Jesus said, we were full of dead men's bones. Being whitewashed sepulchre. Oh, come on. See, you don't want me to go there. But I'm talking about being real. I'm saying if this is what we're going to do in life, I want to be real. I want to do real. Well, if I'm going to be real, that means I'm going to have a real relationship, which means I'm going to let go of the hypocrisy in my own life. There's a story I was... I had heard this before, and I was listening. I was getting ready this morning, listening to to a preacher on on the the, the TV, and and he related this story. And I thought, yeah, that's so good. I'm going to use that again. The story is about the the, the ocean liner, the Queen Elizabeth. Well, it, it had sailed for years and years and years, and now it is sitting over in California. I think it's in the Long Beach area or somewhere there, and it's become a museum. And you can actually go aboard the, the, the Queen Mary and you can see what it was like to, to travel in those days, in that time period, in, uh, in the, the, the most luxurious that they had, the Queen Mary. The, the issue is, when they brought the Queen Mary across and they, 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 they parked her in the, in the harbor, getting her ready to, they were going to restore and repair her. What, what they did was they took the smokestacks off and they said, we're going to repair these and just, you know, repaint them, get them ready and everything. And they, they, they took these big, huge, giant cranes and they lifted these smokestacks off of the Queen Mary. And the moment they sat them down on the dock, they disintegrated. Oh, listen to me now. All that was holding those smokestacks together was ten plus years of paint. The three-inch steel plating that once made up those smokestacks was completely rusted away. 
It was just a farce of iron. Jesus encountered some smokestacks one day in Jerusalem and said, You are white-washed sepulchers. You're full of dead men's bones. You profess, but you don't possess. See, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to talk about this this morning because if we're going to be real, we're going to have to deal with some things. You see, to be real, that's what we want, means we're not going to be hypocritical. But listen, I understand. I understand that that is not as easy as it sounds. Because that means, oh, I'm going to get up in somebody's business. That means that we're going to have to get bare before God. It means we're going to have to cut through the paint that we've been hiding the rust within. We're going, it means we're going to have to stop judging others with what we could be judged ourselves with. It means we're going to stop trying to hold on while we judge somebody. We're going to stop holding on to the secret sins that we have as pet devils. There's a whole lot of folk that are in the house of God that still have on what we think is a leash a little pet devil. The problem is, is that nasty snake is growing day by day. And one day it's going to come across your life and like a giant python is going to squeeze the very life out of you. Heard another story about a little boy, or this, this pious, religious, pious deacon was in a church and he was trying to impress upon the little boys of the church how important it was to be religious like him. And he, he asked the little boys, he said, Do you know why people call me a Christian? After a few minutes, a couple of minutes went by and one little boy spoke up in the back and he said, I guess the people don't know you. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of people, Christians included, who think they can keep their little secrets from God. Who think they can just put some more paint over the rust and it won't show through. Let me tell you what the Bible says about it in 1 Chronicles, the 28th chapter, the 9th verse. You ready for this? The Bible says, the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. Woo! See, listen, listen. Can, can, I just, can we just go there? Y'all in here, you might as well just go ahead and say amen. Go ahead, Pastor. If we're going to be real, if we're going to have a real relationship with Jesus, we're going to have to be honest and open with Him. Sometimes that's scary because we think if we do that, will He still like me? Come on, let's, let's, let's be brutally honest. Ready? We're we here. We're already there. We've already uncovered some scabs. So let's go ahead and let's just get brutally honest with each other. There are times that we have been the instigators of hurt in other people's lives. Oh, stop! Because we want to always 
talk about how we've been hurt. Oh, sweetheart, you blessed little thing. You have done some hurting in your life. Now listen, it may not have been intentional. And listen, I, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of us that we're sitting right here right now, and if we're thinking back, we could be embarrassed, maybe even ashamed of when we did that. But if we're going to be brutally honest, we, we, we have to admit there have been times we have been the one has, who has reached out and hurt someone else. But listen to your pastor. Listen to your pastor right now. You ready? That doesn't scare God away. And yes, there have been times that we've been on the receiving end of the hurt. And I'm going to tell you, he understands that too. In fact, David knew about those times of hurt and said in Psalm 61, he said, God, you've always given me breathing room. Place to get away from it all. A lifetime pass to your safe house. An open invitation as your guest. You've always taken me seriously, God. Made me welcome among those who knew or know and love you. Somebody listen to your pastor this morning. God is not afraid of the hurt that you've inflicted upon others. And he understands what, it li- what it's like to be on the receiving end of a hurt. He's even aware of the times when the hurt, listen to me because we're going to go there right now. He even understands and he's aware of those times when the hurt, given or received, has made us mad. And even maybe mad at him. Shout now. Listen to me. There are churches all around this nation that have pews filled with a lot of pew. There's a lot of churches around this nation that are filled with people who are mad at God. And the anger comes because we say we serve a God who can do all things, but He can't seem to do anything. At least not for our problem. You're not in the house now. So we wonder, how can a loving God look at His children who are in need and pain and despair and not just fix it? I'm a daddy. If I see one of my babies, my grandbabies in need or in hurt, you better believe I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to move heaven and hell to help them. If I can do that, then why can't God? Oh, come on. Some of you don't want to be honest with me now. I've struggled with this just like some of you, and I'm asking, what is God's role in all the tragedies and the pain we encounter in this life? Doesn't He have some responsibility to fix this thing? Listen, I've been in church all my life. I know the theological answers. I know the church answers. I know, I know that the blessing of choice comes with consequences. I also believe that God can do anything, so why doesn't He want to do anything? 
Is this a little too, too close or too real or too close to your house? Then there's someone sitting right there and you're going, Pastor, you're not, you're not giving me the answers. I came looking for answers. Well, bless your heart, I ain't got none. I've told you that before. The, the, the more I study, the, the closer I try to get to God, I have realized the less I understand sometimes. And you know, what, what I do understand is this. If God gave me the answer to your question, this question, it would not satiate your problem because you would want an answer to that question. See, the problem is not, I need an answer, God. The problem is, I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to hurt. You know, there were times when when our children were little. I really, you know, they were fighting. Yes, they fought in the pastor's house. And there were times that they were fighting, and I really didn't care who was right or who was wrong. I just wanted them to shut up. Just shut up. I don't care. I don't care if she pulled your hair. I don't care if he said that. I don't care if he took your dog. I don't care. Shut up. I'll beat you all. You're irritating me now. The problem was I didn't want to know the truth. I just didn't want to be irritated. Are you in this house? Come on. I mean, I know I'm a bad parent. But listen, some of you are just in the same boat as I am. If I gave you the answer to this question, the problem is you'd have that question. Here's what I've come to realize. You ready for this? this is, I believe this is important. You need to get this. Here's what I've come to realize. This relationship of love and trust and realness is not about a blanket insurance policy, but a blanket of assurance that God is with us, regardless of what we face. I want a blanket of insurance that I won't have to go through anything. The problem is, God says, I'm going to give you a blanket of assurance that I'll be with you regardless of what you go through. I'm not sure I like that deal. Can I, can I show you this in Scripture? Let me show you in Scripture. Famous passage, Psalms, the 23rd chapter. Ready for this? Most of you could quote this, but let's just go through this real quick. Psalms 23 starts out and says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that's, wait, 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 wait. That is what I want to hear. (laughs) Woohoo! No want, blessing, blessing, blessing. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming in and blessed going out. Woohoo! Blessing, that must be a blessing. That's what I want. And the very next picture, the very next thing he says is, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And we paint that so beautifully, don't we? We think of this lush field and this... this, What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful word picture he uses there. David, you're wonderful. Awesome, buddy. The problem is, it makes me wonder, why does he have to emphasize it? Listen. Why does he have to emphasize... Lying down and still waters. Could it be that there are some waters that aren't going to be still? Could it be that there are going to be some places that are going to roar and threaten me? Well, let me just get on with that because I don't think that's good. That's not good. 
Let me go to the next step. He says, He restoreth my soul. Now that's wonderful, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. You restore my soul. He restores my soul. He restores. And but then it makes me wonder on the flip side, why do I have to be restored? Could it be that sometimes life makes me feel all broken inside? He goes on, he says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. And again, I'm wondering, why are you emphasizing this, Lord? Could it be that there's another path that the enemy's always trying to put in front of me? I like to go back to verse 1, please. I shall not want. But then he goes on to this this nasty verse. And he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Listen, this is where I really want to put on the brakes and say, Wait, you're, you're, you're getting this wrong. Do you mean to tell me that once I get saved, it's not just going to be sunshine? But in that valley, he says, I will fear, what? No evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And sometimes, listen, stop it for me, because if you think about it, sometimes that comfort is with a gentle nudge. And sometimes it's with a smack. How, God, would you smack me? And say, I'm comforting you. I wonder if it's kind of like when we had to discipline our children. It actually did hurt us worse than it probably hurt them. I always thought that was a lie of my father. Until I became a father. He goes on and he says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now here, right, I'm going to just tell you the honest thing. I would prefer he would just kill all the enemies. Don't make me a table in front of him. I don't care about the table. Just kill him, God. But he says, No, I'm going to let him live. But make you a table in front of him. He goes on and he says, Thou anointest my head with oil. Why, why, Father? Because sometimes my head gets cut. From the issues that I try to force my way through. He ends up with this. He says, My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, thank God, at least it ends nice. (laughs) So, I'm looking for my mercy and my goodness, right? (laughs) My goodness and my mercy. But did you notice it says mercy and goodness shall do what? Not lead me. It follows me. That's what's behind me. See, what is supposed to be leading me is supposed to be the spirit of the living God. Mercy and goodness is in my wake. When I come through, there's supposed to be mercy and goodness for everybody that gets involved with it. Pastor, I'm looking for some mercy and goodness for me. I want to get back to verse 1. I shall not want. And you're talking about that mercy and goodness is following me instead of leading me? No, it's the Spirit of God that leads us. Why? Because I choose to have faith. I choose to trust. I choose to love. I choose to be real. And I choose to follow Him.
Let me give you this truth, and I, I, I'm going to bring this to a close somewhere. The truth is this. We don't always get to choose what happens to us in this life, but it's up to us how we respond to what happens. Let's, let's go there for a minute. How many of you have lost a loved one? How many of you have prayed for that loved one, believed and prayed, fasted, did everything you knew to do? Spoke words of faith, confessions of faith. You, you, and you lost them. So what do we do? We come into the church. We come into the house of God. And we're mad at him because he didn't do what we thought he would do in verse 1, where I shall not want. Listen, you don't always get to choose what happens to you in life. There have been some bad things that have happened to me in my life. I didn't get to choose them. But I did get to choose how I would respond. Not to be too personal, I I know I've got to move this along, but if it was a choice, most of you probably heard or you you know that Pastor Pat and, and, and Pastor Gina lost their second boy, Dylan. What, two years old? It's two years old. Why am I looking here? You're, you're the one you're looking to my wife to tell me what. Two years old. That was not their choice. How would that be a choice? It was not their choice. The choice was taken away from them. Of that, the choice was how would they respond? Some of you, I look around this auditorium and let me, let me, let me, let me be honest, I, I know some of your stuff. I've been your pastor long enough that I know some of your stuff and some of the stuff that you've been through, I know that you didn't choose it. If you would have chosen, you would have chosen something different. I guarantee you would have chosen something different. You wouldn't choose cancer. You wouldn't choose death. You wouldn't choose loss. You wouldn't have chose divorce. You wouldn't choose that. But sometimes you don't get to choose what life throws at you. But you do get to choose how you respond. So let me give you some practicalities. Are you ready for this? Because I always want to give you some practicalities of how can you respond. How do we respond to this life that sometimes we don't have a choice what it is? Let me tell you this. Number one, and I'll go through this very quickly. Number one, how do you respond? Number one, tell God how you feel. Be real with Him. You're not going to scare Him off by telling Him how you feel about where you are and what's going on in your life. (laughs) 
Listen to me. Can I just tell you it would be much better telling him than all the social media and the Facebook and emailing it to somebody else or this or whatever. Around, you know, all the people around you who you may end up influencing negatively about their relationship with Jesus. There have been times. Listen, I believe in healing. But there have been times that I prayed for healing and the person died. My feeling was right then, God, I don't, I don't know if I believe this healing thing. <gasps> Pastor, I'm being real with you. No, there's been times I've, I've believed and given and, and, and I'm, Lord, I'm believing for a blessing and all I saw next week was more bills. And I told God, I don't know if I believe this prosperity thing, God. Ain't nobody in the house going to be honest with me and open. Okay, all right, all right, it'll just be me. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't get up here and preach. Well, I don't know. I think, but I'm not sure, because everything I've seen is it's all a lie. Go have a nice day. Don't go to hell. Some of us, listen, tell him how you feel. Stop influencing people around you that may be negatively. Getting on Facebook, telling everything about everything and everybody, and, and then somebody say, well, I'm not sure. Yeah, I know. I, I know God doesn't love us either. I, I know. I've been there. I was right there with you, sis. I was right there with you, bro. I know, dude. It's God don't love us. He hates us. We're all going to hell. Well, I need to vent. Yes, vent to him. Tell him how you feel. Look at this, Isaiah. This is the word. Watch Isaiah, the first chapter, the 18th verse. Come on now. Let's discuss this, says the Lord. Though your sins are bright red, they will become as white as snow. Though they are dark red, they will become as white as wool. Do you know what bright red means? It means it's a fresh wound. Dark red means it's an old one that's kind of dried over and crusty now. He said, come on, let's talk about it. You and me, come on, man up. Let's do some FaceTime, sweetheart. FaceTime him. Tell him how you feel. Whether the hurt is new or old, talk to Jesus about how you feel. And then... How do you respond to this, these things in life? Number two, ask Him to help you see if there is a, uh, just a possibility that maybe there is a bigger picture than what you can see right now. You know what I understand? I understand that it's hard for us as finite, can't see all that far Christians or humans. Let's just get away from that for a minute. Humans. We can't see all that far. We can't really see to tomorrow. How can we trust and believe a God who sees the beginning and the end all at the same time? I don't understand that. Can't comprehend that. Doesn't equate. Doesn't compute. So that's why I need to ask God, could there possibly be something bigger than what I can see right now in this? I'm going to tell you how I feel because I don't feel good about this. I'm going to ask you, could there be something bigger than what I can see? Maybe I can't see the whole picture right now. 
Bible says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see things in a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now my knowledge is in part, but then it will be complete, even as God's knowledge of me. Let me bring this so close because you need to tell God how you feel. You need to ask Him to show you the bigger picture. And then, then, then listen, listen. This is so important. You respond by trusting in His love. Listen to me. This is so important. And I, I don't want you to lose this because you, you need to hear this. Because notice I didn't say trust in His plan. Are you listening? I didn't tell you to trust in His plan because sometimes we don't see His plan. And if we can't see His plan, we can't trust His plan. Sometimes, I listen, I used to say, oh, God, Pastor, God says that His plans are good. Wonderful. But if I can't see it and I can't understand it, if I can't comprehend it, I can't trust it. Oh, see, I'm being too real for you right now, right? I'm not asking you to trust in His plan because sometimes you can't see or understand His plan. What I'm asking you to do, what I'm telling you we can do, is to trust in His love. Trust in His love. So even though we can't trust in His plan, we can still trust in His love. I believe probably the best way to say it would be the old children's chorus that said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But I don't understand. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Well, wait, God, I don't understand the the, the plan. Yes, Jesus loves me. But I can't see it. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible. Romans says it this way in the 8th chapter. It said, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works. For the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. I'm going to leave you with this. And then I want you to watch something. But I want to leave you with this. It boils down to this. This is what I do. I do real. Because He loves me. The real me.